Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, I'm doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Recording for Ian Flux. My God. Better pull up the, the Bible-sized uh, notes. That you Dude, my to... notes are minimal on this shit because it was very hard to keep up with. It's just very short spurts. It's a lot of... What's going on? They What's make out. <laughs> Kills with sex. <laughs> but yes, this is The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. And my name is Alex. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Julio. Julio, we have begun our journey into the the realm of female filmmaking. Yes, we have. And how? (laughs) I think that in a a world where everybody praises Wonder Woman for empowering women and being the greatest achievement by a female filmmaker, uh, I am a little puzzled that nobody looks back and actually praises movies like... uh, Aeon Flux that certainly set the tone, got everything ready for something like Wonder Woman to be able to happen. Right before we hit that old uh, that red circle there, that record button, I was like I was saying the tagline of this one: "The future is flux." And they they rewrote the course of history with this one, man. We are flux now. <laughs> they they saw the future and uh, and yeah, they saw they saw how fluxed we are. <laughs> so on uh, December second, two thousand five, a little ditty by Karen uh, Kusama came out. Uh, by the title of Aeon Flux. This was Charlize Theron's first film after she won an Oscar for, of course, Monster. I think that's it shows because right after you win an Oscar, that's when the world is yours. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's kind of like when, uh, um, I mean, he didn't win an Oscar, but after Donnie Darko, uh, Richard Kelly was like, I can do anything I want. So he did. He, he called The Rock and... Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, and he's like, hey, I want to do this epic. I'm shaking my finger at him right now. <laughs> I thought you were shaking the finger at me. I was like, no, I got it right. That was him. No, no, no. I am. Because um, I, I was actually just watching that the other day, and that's a future episode right there. Oh, yeah. So, wait, you watched it without me? I own it on Blu-ray. You motherfucker. Wait, are you talking about Donnie Darko? or? Uh... Oh, fuck Donnie Darko. I'm talking about <laughs> Southland Tales. 
<laughs> I'm talking about the good movie. I think that we need to do a a, a complete Richard Kelly a, retrospective. A two-parter? Yeah. Oh, we'll do the box. We'll right. throw everything in there. <laughs> Maybe Domino, even. Jesus. Oh, God, no. Okay. <laughs> um, but yes, we are here today to revisit, or visit, rather, Aeon Flux, uh, a female-directed movie, of course, starring the aforementioned Charlize Theron. Now, this is not a movie that uh, stands too tall uh, when it sits on its critical acclaim, uh, in that uh, it stands at a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. 10%? That makes me angry even before reading the quotes. Uh, we'll start with Tasha Robinson. Tasha Robinson from the AV Club says, A slick-looking action movie with too much exposition and a weighty, pretentious tone. Mark Olson from LA Weekly. It probably looked like a good idea on paper. Come on, Mark. <laughs> Jeff Myers from Metro Times, Detroit, Michigan, says, What is it that drives talented actresses to dive into a hot pile of cinematic crap soon after winning their first Oscar? He's, uh, he's throwing a dig at uh, Halle, Halle Berry. Berry. Yeah, it won't be the last. Uh, Philip French from Observer UK says, The 15-year-old MTV cartoon on which it is based must be better than this. Linda Cook from Quad City Times, Devonport, IA, says, Ian Flux is Catwoman Redux. Do you say, do you pronounce it Redux or Redux? Redux. Redux. Okay. Ian Fle <laughs> is Catwoman Redux. <laughs> uh, Thomas Delapa says, from Boulder Weekly, says, Cirque du Soleil downloaded into a three ring video game. That sounds amazing. Sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, Rob Thomas from Capital Times, Madison, Wisconsin, says, Ian Flux is. It's 3 a.m., that's what he says. <laughs> Uh, Ian Flux is thoroughly ridiculous, all but begging to be laughed out of the multiplex and into the second-run theaters. And finally... Oh, no, there's two more. <laughs> and second to finally. Well, you know, this one's so good, I almost wish I was closing with it. Mike McGranahan from Isle Seat says, The movie should have been called Ian Sucks. I hope Brilliant. You, yeah, I hope you're proud of yourself, Mike. And finally... Scott Weinberg, efilmcritic.com. We really should just put a moratorium on Scott Weinberg quotes because I, th I think that we bring him up every other episode. Yeah. Uh, he says, it's as if someone just swept up the floor at the sci-fi factory and instead of tossing the junk into the garbage, they glued it together and called it a movie. Well, it's not a movie. It's an MTV film. <laughs> not enough of those. <laughs> as MTV, of course, owned uh, Aeon Flux uh, because of the cartoon that was mentioned uh, written by uh, Peter Chung. Now, the film Aeon Flux starts off with a title screen that tells us in 2011, 99% uh, of the world's population was wiped out by a virus. And They got it wrong. It's They, they got the years wrong, 2016. And it, yeah. it, it's a precedent, not a I was going to say January 20th, 2017. <laughs> yes. The bad news came. Uh, but there is... Uh, Brenga, Breng, Bre Bregna. What was the name of the city? I read it as Brenya. Brenya, Bregna. The what? <laughs> There's the last city on Earth which inhabits the uh, the survivors. Five hundred uh, people. Is that? What, am I making that up? It's a small community. Yeah. And it's, the, been, it's been four hundred years. Yeah, I the year is twenty four fifteen. While this is all going on, and we get this long uh, prologue explaining basically where the Earth is right now, or where Brenga, this the last city of hope, is, and there is uh, uh, Monacons, 
the emoticons. This, <laughs> mo, emoticons? No. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think of it while we were watching the movie, but that's that's amazing. Monicons. Monicons. Uh, this underground rebel society, and Charlie Theron, who plays Aeon Flux, is one of the best of the best. Uh, she is so good, and you can tell this because as soon as the credits, uh, the, the opening titles or whatever are done, you open on her face and then her eye, and then she catches a fly with her eyelid. That's right. She suffocates the fly with her eyelid. That is uh, not the last suffocation that will happen in the movie. <laughs> and also just, I mean, who doesn't know the Karate Kid and the thing with Mr. Miyagi and the chopsticks and he catches the thing? This is that times 2,000. <laughs> It's amazing. Uh, we meet uh, Aeon's sister, uh, Una, Una Flux, who she's talking about something. I, I This movie she's, was like going so fast. This movie, spoiler alert, is an hour and 25 minutes, and it's it has a like five-hour movie yeah. crammed into yeah. that. It's a whole Netflix season, <laughs> but, you know, in an hour and a half. Uh, it is. I, I think what I got out of there was that she knew that Ian was going on another mission, and she was asking her not to go. Okay. Which, because the mission is handed down by the handler, which is uh, uh, Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand playing uh, the little girl from Brave. I wrote Nick Fury, Francis McDormand. Actually, my second note says uh, Ghost Rider. Okay. Her head's on fire. That, that's true. What uh, we're getting at is Frances McDormand. It's like has super red hair. It's and the first scene you see her in too is basically like the scene where uh, Keanu meets the architect in Matrix Reloaded, where you're not really sure what's going on, but that's okay. The movie's kind of moving on without you. You I, have I, to keep up. Yeah. No. And and you know, I, I, at some point during the movie, and this is a reward for those who stuck with it, uh, you realize that a big part of the movie, a, a big thing that's running through the movie, is just the whole. We don't know what's going on. That's that's what's like. It's a movie about people that don't know what's going on, mm-hmm. and so it, it makes the audience part of that. And uh, within the first uh, act of the film, now again, since Aeon Flux is an undercover agent and you know a bad motherfucker, uh, there's people that want to kill her from the government within Brenga, uh, Bregna, and um, they go to her apartment and they mistake her sister Una for her and ice her right there. Uh, so yeah. Charlie's has to live with this on her conscience. Yeah, we we hardly hardly knew you, Una. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that is, and I guess I hadn't really figured out, but because she goes on that first mission, the one that her sister didn't want her to go mm-hmm. on, and she's dressed in white, but then the rest of the movie she's dressed in black, so she's mourning. It's, it's true. Been, it, I mean, I'm still unpacking this movie as we speak. The next morning when she wakes up afterwards, she's wearing minimal clothing, but they're all black. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how you grieve in the future. I mean, it's. Twenty four fifteen, and really the minimal clothing thing. I I really there's been a lot of discussion for a while now, you know, about the male gaze in you know the male gaze in movies and objectifying women and all that stuff. But this is the cool thing about having a female filmmaker. It's no longer the male gaze because obviously there's no male there. Yeah. And so when you see Charlie Theron get up from bed and she's barely clothed or whatever that's cool mm-hmm. it's not you don't have to feel a little icky about it like oh well some dude was pointing the camera at her and telling her well this is how you know it was a woman yeah so now it just becomes a celebration of of her physique <laughs> and i think i'm just gonna issue this blanket statement so i don't have to keep saying it throughout the, this episode but it's like she looks great yeah i not everybody can pull off the short hair thing and uh but i think she does admirably and uh not everybody can can pull off the the skin tight suits. Yeah, she's got she that does so black spandex suit on. Yeah, 
Uh, so when she wakes up the next morning, she's immediately summoned by the handler, Francis McDormand, for a secret mission. Basically, she's ordered that she's going to kill the government leader, Trevor Goodchild. So basically, in this mythical city where there's the last of the survivors on Earth, there's just it's basically like the Jedi Council. There's like a, a council, a round table, and the leader at this point in time is Trevor Goodchild. Yeah, who is, uh, I guess, a descendant of the guy that that saved humanity by mm-hmm. creating the, the cure to whatever virus killed 99% of the people. So I guess that's a way of getting elected. <laughs> that or you just say emails over and over again. So Anne Flux and her you know best friend within the community of the uh, the Monicans, uh, Sithadria, they penetrate the the uh, base. There's all these fucking crazy ass traps laid for them, like uh, beehives that shoot steel darts out of them, and then the actual grass itself turns into a bed of nails. Yeah, uh, I mean that alone is pretty badass. But the fact that her friend, her her partner in this mission has hands for feet is mm-hmm. just that was the thing that, that just blew my mind because it's such an it's such an easy concept to arrive to you would think but i'd never seen it done before yeah so when it, and they come to be useful so because at some point she actually falls into the grass that has blades but instead of hurting her feet it's just like hurting another set of hands yeah. and somehow that makes it better because she, she keeps going well and we also get the proof that you know it's not just you know sly and arnold and you know, these men that can pull off the one-liners. Uh, Aeon nearly falls under the bed of nails, and she gets pulled off, and her friend, you know, says to her, hey, keep off the grass. Perfect timing. You know, you see Wonder Woman here now, and, you know, she's she's making the funnies and everything. And, uh, well, you know what? Influx did it first. It Twelve just, years it, ago. It just didn't catch on. But but let's let's throw some acknowledgement that way. So she finally tracks down Trevor Goodchild, and she is confused. She doesn't understand why she's when she sees him she feels the way she does. And you know, truth be told, it leads to a very bout of con- uh, a very confusing bout of sex. Yeah, they uh she she could have killed him but instead she starts having these sort of like flashbacks but they're not really flashbacks and uh and then they they go to bed. And uh and <laughs> you you would have expected a movie that's been uh so stylistic up till now mm-hmm. to just go all out on the sex scene. No, but no, we, we get a fade to black. Yep, classy. <laughs> they know when to rein it in. Mm-hmm. So she wakes up the next morning and uh, immediately is kind of I wouldn't say guilt strucken, but kind of realizes what's happened. And she turns over and Trevor's still there and she strangles him. She doesn't kill him as I originally thought. Uh, she just kind of chokes him unconscious. Then. Is that when you wrote kills with sex? I did write kills with sex. <laughs> I have like from an earlier moment in the movie, I wrote hot spy kiss. Because when she's like. That's like trading, in the opening scene. Right. In the opening montage when she's just talking about how cool she is, like she kisses some dude. In, well, they have these like buttons in their back that they can communicate with the other monocons with. Right. So. Yeah. No, but this is like when she kisses some guy and oh, he and like they, slips like an uh, like, like an capsule, capsule or yeah. something. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that is never explained in this movie, and that's okay. Uh, a lot of this movie, and by that I mean probably about eighty percent, is left up to the audience to interpret. Yeah, I think that when that, when that virus wiped off ninety nine percent of the population, it also wiped off ninety nine percent of the exposition. <laughs> And and that's good because you know you don't need all that exposition to weigh you down. What you really want to know is 
what happens to Ian, what's going on with her, and and that's clear as day. She just hooked up with the wrong guy, mm-hmm. and now she's feeling conflicted about it, and and that conflict is going to go through the rest of the movie. So she chokes him out, uh, leaves him there. She goes and basically explores the rest of the government base and uncovers quite a bit of information. We discover after several scenes of, um, I don't want to say confusing, but I think uh, red herring is a good way of describing him. There's a couple scenes there that you, you don't really know which direction you're going in. Uh, well, yeah, but there's a lot of like crazy technology that kind of helps with that confusion, like mm-hmm. making it confusing and then uh, unconfusing it. Yeah, if I saw those machines, I wouldn't know what the hell it is. Uh, right. She just goes, she just, like, starts playing with stuff, like like really weird belts attached to her, and then she pushes a button, and she teleports to a different place. And then you have a fight scene that plays with those two uh, locations. It's pretty crazy. So basically the breakdown we figure out is uh, Monikans are being created and manipulated by the government basically to keep a power flow instilled and everyone within the magical city of Bregna are clones. Yeah, they're all clones. Yeah. That's uh that's the big reveal which, you know, will spare you the, the acrobatics that it takes to get, I mean, that's part of the fun of watching the movie, but it's not fun to like hear us break it apart. Mm-hmm. Uh we I, I almost wish that we had recorded though when we were trying to figure out the plot after or in it while the movie was going. Yeah. yeah. But that's good. See, I miss that for movies. I miss uh, I wish more movies did that cuz now everybody feels the need that well, everybody has to understand what's going on every second of the way mm-hmm. and we need to spoon-feed you every bit of information. Uh, we have the technology to pause movies now, and and I think it actually enhances the community, uh, the communal experience when you feel the need to turn to the person next to you and ask them, like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> or be like, hey, I think this is happening. Is this what you think too? And then you exchange ideas, and some movies are made to be read several ways. That's right. And I came out of this one still not being quite sure what my read was. Well, I mean, this is, like you said, this is the first, the shortest movie we've ever had to rewind to figure out what was happening. We did have to rewatch the ending. Yeah? Yeah. yeah that's, that's how layered, how full of, chock full of information and awesome stuff this, this movie is. So, in finding all this out with uh, Una and Aeon and just the general community at large, these clones are being created. Basically, they're allowed uh, to keep some of their memories but uh, Trevor and his brother Oren, um, they're ancestors of the people who invented the cure 400 years ago. So they've been having to repeatedly, you know, clone themselves, but they allow themselves to keep their full memories. Is that correct? Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I think they wiped everybody's memories clean except for themselves. So they pass themselves off as. Oh, okay. As so Aeon's like a, a freak, a cog because she remembers Trevor. Well, I think that they've done the the process so many times. It's been four hundred years that that now like memories are starting to resurface. I think that's what they said, but they never like really settled down because they they don't know what's going on. Yeah. So that was their their best guess. Uh, also, a good time to mention that among all this stuff, we also find out that uh, Trevor's brother Oren, played by Sick Boy from. Uh, Spotting more go. recently, Sherlock from Elementary. Uh, he he actually he's the one that tipped off the Monikans on how to kill his brother because he's trying to take over. Yeah, because he wants to keep in power, and we'll, we'll get to that here shortly. Um, but Trevor was originally married to Aeon, who is basically just a clone of his previous wife, Catherine. So he wasn't married to Aeon, but right. She is really. But she still has some of those memories. Yeah, I found it kind of weird that he calls her. He still calls her Aeon after 
after they it's all come to light. And at this point, we get a cut to Oren, who's loading a revolver with uh, adamantium bullets. And he says, you know you can't kill him. He says, that's fine, but her memories won't grow back. But yeah, he... Flawless. He, he should be calling her Catherine Flux, really. But that doesn't... That's not as cool as mm. Ian Flux. So I yeah. understand why they, they just kept calling her Ian. Why she was repeatedly cloned... We'll get to that here in a little bit. Uh, with, with the help of a special guest star. <laughs> high price cameo. <laughs> uh, but basically, we, we get the intel here that you know there were more tests being done, and these clones were starting to get pregnant. And one of them was Una, Aeon's sister. And Oren basically made it so all of the pregnant subjects were wiped out. Yeah. So, oh, oh, but okay. So the reason they're cloning people is because a side effect of the cure... Was infertility. Was infertility. I'm sorry. You guys, we apologize. It's just there's a lot to take in with this movie. It, it, half the time, you're just in awe of all the acrobatics and Charlie Theron jumping around like Mario. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's amazing. So then the plot flies by, and then you just have have to, like, fish it out. Thankfully, do not watch this movie by yourself. So the clones are being made because there's the infertility thing. Uh, but some of the more recent clones, including Aeon's sister who was murdered, are becoming pregnant, but because Oren Goodchild wants to stay in power, uh, he wants the Goodchild name to stay in power. He's making sure these all get wiped out because it's it could be detrimental to their cause. Right, the cloning thing is supposed to be a temporary thing while they figure out a way to cure the infertility, mm-hmm. and then their cure starts working, and Oren's like, "Fuck that! I we're just gonna keep cloning people and kill whoever got pregnant." So during the midst of all this, if you didn't deduce this for yourself, the movie kind of helps you get along with that. They kind of pat you on the rear and say, okay, this is where we're at, kid. Keep up. We'll be all right. Uh, Trevor and Aeon are on the run not only from the law but also from the Monikans. And it leads off into this big shootout where they're all pinned up against where Oren and you know the government have Trevor and then there's four snipers from the Monikans that are zoomed in on Aeon. And so this is where the shit really hits the fan. Yeah, that is... Uh, uh, right, because the Americans are after her because she refused to kill Trevor. Correct. And they won't believe her that, that he is not the bad guy. And they all basically plug into the same, you know, uh, load screen where they're all there and Francis McDormand is just, you know, telling them what the fuck to do. Yeah, Francis McDormand, it would be like... I don't know, what is a good analogy to what's happening What's there? the mask in Crash Bandicoot? That tells Crash what to do. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> do they not have Crash Bandicoot in Peru? Don't this style Crash Bandicoot, <laughs> no. Uh, but the, if it was a video game, right? Or Power Rangers, who's the face that tells Right, them? there yeah. you go. She's uh, Zord? Zordon? Zergon? Wasn't it Brian Cranston that played it in the movie? <laughs> yes, Walter White. Yeah. Hal. Hal. There you go. Uh, okay, so she is, yeah, she's she's in a different reality. We don't even know if she actually exists. Mm-hmm. We just know that she's like this person with super red hair that gives them orders whenever they all plug into this virtual reality. Because at some point, uh, the woman with the with the feet hands, hand feet? Cethadria. Well, but you don't remember the name. You remember the, the hands, the visual of the hands. I remember because I wrote it down. Oh, well. Well, and then, because here she has her epic face turn, where she just convinces the other ones to not shoot Aeon. Right, right. but before that, she has her, her climatic fight with uh, with Aeon. That's right. Where Aeon just kicks her ass. Yeah. It just shows that you can have a uh, hand for feet, but you're no match for Aeon Flux when she's played by Charlie Theron. That's right. 
Uh, so she just like bangs her with her Oscar. <laughs> it's true. Monster. <laughs> so as tension mounts, you know, there's guns pointed in every fucking direction. And Aeon's able to channel that little button that we talked about in the back of in her back uh, and kind of communicate with Sithadria via that. Who Sithadria, in turn, all she has to say is change of plans and all the other people's sniper rifles. Okay. And so they go to take out uh, all the guards around and making sure that the, the good children live, the good childs. Right. Uh, <laughs> the good children. <laughs> Oren is expendable because he's the first one that gets shot in the back. They try not to kill him, but they shoot him in the back to take him out. And this leads Trevor and Aeon to kind of flee the scene. Aeon gives like the nod up to her former compadres. Uh, and they take off. And it's it looks like kind of the the facility from 007. They they work their way over. And, right. Uh, there's just more gunfire, and it's again. I I feel like I failed this movie because I didn't keep up enough with it. Well, here's what I what I really like because at this point, you know, this is you're crashing towards the end, and uh, but what they've done very successfully is bring back Trevor from being. The main, what you thought was the main bad guy at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. slowly to uh, one person that actually has a connection with our protagonist, with Aeon, and then you realize, oh, you know, maybe they had a connection in the past, and now he's a bad guy. And then they turn him even more, and then you realize, oh, no, he's not a bad guy at all. He's actually – he just didn't know. His brother is a piece of shit that's been killing people. Yeah. He's actually been trying to do good. When he finally explains everything, one, you're you're just happy that he's a good guy, and two, you're happy that you're just thankful to him for explaining what's going on. Mm. Uh, this is going to be like Mike Pence's speech here in about three months. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> Emails. <laughs> So so very slowly, even though uh, Charlize Theron gets all the all the flashy stuff, you mm-hmm. know, she gets all the really cool action sequences and the gadgets, and and she looks hot and everything. But really, the real transformation is happening with Trevor, who went who goes from villain to guy that you really you're rooting for, and then even before you get to the final climatic fight, they they have an argument where Charlie Theron, Air Flux, wants to just blow everything up. Yeah. And he's like, but if you do that, we lose everything. We don't lose just the cloning. We lose the cure. Because keep in mind, there's this fucking blimp circling the lost city the entire time that basically contains – it's it's the hard drive. It's, it's, it's a hard drive. It contains the cloning equipment, the cure, and special guest star Pete Possewaite. <laughs> Pete Possewaite as Ray Fiennes. Yes. Looking like a circumcised penis. Uh, he shows up briefly, very briefly, a couple of times in the movie, and then you're like, wow, that was it. And then he shows up at the very end to explain the last bit of explaining. Um, well. <laughs> <laughs> to try. <laughs> to try to explain. Uh, but anyway, so so they have this this actual – these are two people that you like by now. You like Aeon, you like Trevor, and they they have this debate where she's like, I don't care. It's living as a clone is not real life. And he, so he's advocating for not doing it because uh, they they might lose the cure. He's not sure he can replicate the cure, and she's just like, I don't care. Yeah. And it's 
it's cool that you get to this point in the movie where you've completely transformed your villain into somebody that can have that kind of argument. He's still on her in side. In less than 40 minutes. Absolutely. You just you – just, and it, it didn't even feel rushed. Like you said, it just felt like, wow, there's so much stuff happening. It's, it's, that's what life is. It just comes at you. Uh, so I, I really appreciated that because, once again, when we go back to uh, stuff like Wonder Woman now, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's Wonder Woman, but she has a male sidekick. She has uh, Captain Kirk through the entire movie. And everybody – The Tremor brother. Yeah. Everybody praises his performance and the way that he's integrated into the story. But that that had seats way before then. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it starts here with Ion Flux, where it's a movie that's very clearly designed to create a, a feminist icon, a, a an empowered woman that that The future is flux. Exactly. But but it does not do away with men. Her sidekick in a way is is Trevor. Mm-hmm. It you'd expect a movie to go all out and uh, vilify men altogether. But no, Trevor actually becomes her ally. No, that's Juno. <laughs> Trevor becomes a person that actually makes good points, mm-hmm. that has a, has good intentions, and that helps her achieve her goals. So I, I really that's really the heart of the movie for me. So when we get to that final uh, shootout, yes, I don't know what's going on, but I know two things. I don't want Aeon to die, and I don't want Trevor to die. Well, and you talk about Trevor being a good guy, so basically what happens here, he gets into a fucking uh, knockdown drag out with his brother, and then Trevor's about to die, so Aeon pulls the trigger and kills Orin. And even in that moment, Trevor's still remorseful. Right, it's his brother, and yeah. he's, not, he's, he's not just this cartoon character that would just walk off after his brother gets shot mm-hmm. dead. Instead, he just stays with him. From there, uh, Aeon goes back up into the blimp that's circling uh, uh, Bregna, and the aforementioned Pete Possewaite as Ray Fiennes shows up and kind of explains. I think he leaves a little bit to the interpretation of the audience. I think he leaves a lot for the sequel. Yes. there's Because really, there, there's there's no fun if you answer every single question. Oh, yeah, then why come back? Right, where do you go next? No, there's there's a lot to be explained later on. But, but yeah, he gets he gets his little five-minute scene. He just explains that he knew she was worth keeping and that she's needed. Right, because part of the evil brother's plot was uh, never to clone her. Mm-hmm. He uh, Because I guess he thought that she was going to be a distraction, so instead he lies and says that her DNA, DNA was compromised, so he orders her body to be destroyed. But uh, Oren still wants her fucking Gonski. Right, yeah. right. And uh, But then Pete Possewaite preserves the DNA no matter what. He just slides it into his way overstuffed baked potato <laughs> costume that he has on. And yeah, but he also tells her he knows what's coming. He knows his time's up because she's going to destroy this blimp that he's on, basically the hard drive. Because life's going to go on and they're going to fulfill their destiny. As the, they say in the end of uh, Slumdog Millionaire, this is our destiny. Yeah. Well, he's a, he's the knight at the end of uh, Indiana Johnson's Last Crusade, where he knows that as soon as they take the grail out of the temple, mm-hmm. it's it's over for him. Yeah. And he just kind of waves goodbye. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Clooney at the end of uh, Perfect Storm. Yes, Knows exactly. it's over. Yeah. Uh, so right before she leaves, though, and sets off the explosives, he says, be safe, you're needed. 
and she takes off. We need to make at least two more of these movies <laughs> to, to recoup the budget. You get the point that she's important, but she takes off, and there's a fucking tether or something attached to the blimp that she holds on to, and it blows up and it crashes into the wall around Bregna, which is the first time we've seen that there's like a wall that separates it from everything. Well, at the very beginning, when they're, like, explaining stuff, like, with words on the screen, I think they show the map. Again, there's so much cram. Oh, yeah. I I was still recovering from the fact that she caught a fly with her eyelid. (laughs) That that zoned me out for, like, five minutes. Well, also, when she poured the water and it turned into, like, black just for no reason, I mean, it's like, what the fuck, man? This movie's magic. Oh, dude, yeah, that's, like, an awesome sequence really early on. Her first mission, I do not know what she was trying to accomplish, but I know it looked really cool. She's dangling, and then, like, there's pools of memories Yes. Right? Yeah. That's like, like precog shit. Yes, yeah. Uh, but the blimp goes down, takes out the wall, and wouldn't you know it, there's fucking life on the other side. It's lush. There's trees growing. There's vegetation. I'm sure there's some good fruit in there. Um, and the last thing we see is uh, Trevor and Aeon holding hands, and she says life will go on, and then it fades into the first time they met. Back in the real earth. When she had long hair. Yeah, when she was Catherine. When she was Catherine Flux, and uh, and he was just some British guy. Where have where do we know him from? D- did he seem familiar to Trevor, you? Trevor, no. No? Maybe he's just, just average British guy. That's what they look like. Is that racist? No. I mean, white people, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> we all do look alike. But yeah, outside of Charlie's Theron and Francis McDormand, I was just... I was, I mean, that right there is Pacino and De Niro and Heat, like, just com- competing for screen time. And, and it's just so, like, uh, that that final scene where you're back to, like, you know, it flashes back to normal Earth, I guess, because it looks like a normal city and they're wearing back normal clothes. Back in old 2011. <laughs> yes. And, and it's just, uh, it's not even, I guess that was before they were married. Because he's just her, him asking her if he's going to see her again. Yeah. And she smiles, and then she walks away, and he smiles and walks away. And, and then Someday by Sugar Ray plays. That's like, the, yeah, that that's like, that belongs in the before trilogy. If, mm-hmm. if, if there was Influx 2 and 3, I think that we'd see more of that love story that would really become uh, uh, something akin to the before trilogy. Maybe they brought special director Richard Linklater for, uh, for that one bit. And then in the third Influx, they would wind up back in Bregna. Right, and yeah. just fight the whole fighting time. and just like I told you, you shouldn't have blown up the clones. <laughs> That's why I cheated on you. You killed my brother. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Anne Flux is certainly a movie we watched, and that uh, I, I I have nothing left. <laughs> you just you just spent. Tra- you know what? You're gonna go to bed tonight and and you're gonna wake up in the middle of the night just like with another piece of the plot just suddenly becoming clear <laughs> like oh god it is about life <laughs> uh, just wake up like oh god i'm gonna die someday <laughs> am i a clone <laughs> uh i really i think ultimately i like i said i appreciate it for being this sort of a very sly counterpoint to extreme feminism mm-hmm. i that's it you know she Embarks into this mission to kill the man, and she ends up befriending the man, realizing that she loved the man all along, and then just holding hands with the man at the very end and remembering that, oh, there were good times with the man once upon a time. But also, she made this all happen. Well, yeah. Yeah. It it never diminishes how badass she is. Yeah. She remains a badass the entire time. And this is the fate she chooses because she's the one that fucking 
ruins the cloning process and takes down the wall. Right. He, she'll take the suggestion. Like she, he'll, she'll hear him out. Yeah. But then she's like, no, I don't think so. And yeah. then she goes and does it. And Pete Possway just says, God bless. <laughs> Finally. I've been <laughs> in this costume for years. I've, I've been waiting. Uh, yeah. I, I think I'm ready for real talk. I definitely am. Nori is too, apparently. <laughs> Why do I know you? Why? Why did you come back? What do you want from me? What do I want? I want my sister back. I want to remember what it feels like to be a person. Real talk for Aeon Flux. My God. Aeon Flux, of course, like I said, released on December 2nd, 2005, based on the MTV cartoon, and they obviously still own the rights to it since it was an MTV movie, uh, that Peter Jung had created. To quote him himself, he called it a travesty, stating, I was unhappy when I read the script four years ago. Seeing it projected larger than life in a crowded theater made me feel helpless, humiliated, and sad. The movie's creators claim to love the original version, yet do not extend that faith to their audience. No, they will soften it for the public, which isn't hip enough to appreciate the raw, pure, unadulterated source like they do. That was an interview with him around the time it was released. It is a bad movie. Yes, but okay, he needs to... Calm the fuck down. What I mean, not I, mentioned is probably the fat ass paycheck that he got. Exactly. For, you know. Hey, did you get paid for this? Yeah. Did you make the choice to just sell it, uh, sell the rights, and relinquish creative control? Oh, you did. Okay. Well, just stop crying. <laughs> you can say that you didn't like it, and that's it. You don't have to like get on your high horse and just call people not hip. <laughs> <laughs> I resent that, sir. I am very hip. Also, I didn't like the movie. Yeah. Uh, did anyone like the movie? Uh, yes, a few people. I mean, this is 10%. That means that that's, that's a lot of... Oh, yeah. But uh, John Bifus from Commercial Appeal, Memphis, Tennessee, says, The bright, retro-futuristic pop art production design matches the 1970s THX 1138 values of a story that suggests freedom can be found within the natural world that lies outside our technological cocoons. He was He was really high when he... Uh, when he watched the movie, I and would then think when so. He, then when he wrote the review, uh, Karina Montgomery from Cinerina says, "Eon Flux is not an instant classic or a pants wettingly exciting adaptation of a Jesus. For- I know what the hell, uh, or a pants wettingly exciting adaptation of forgotten gra- of a forgotten graphic novel, but it is also not a Catwoman-esque career killer nor a wasted ninety-three minutes." You get digs at Wonder Woman on both sides of the aisle here. The people that like it and the people that hate it, they both bring up Wonder Woman. or no, Catwoman. Catwoman. Yeah. Uh, Joe Blow from Joe Blow's Movie Emporium. It's actually pretty decent. William Arnold from Desert News Salt Lake City. It's not as bad as you might think. Tom Marstead from Dallas Morning News. There's no way to say it but to come right out with it. Aeon Flux is a good movie. Actually, it's a really good movie. Mark Collette from Tyler Morning Telegraph, Texas, says, Influx isn't about how cool or weird or geeky it can be, 
but about the potential endgame of a contemporary social debate. And that and that is its best asset. I call bullshit on anyone in Tyler, Texas ever having seen this film. I mean, they might have just heard about it. <laughs> they read the collective the big reviews. city. <laughs> I mean, I really wish that uh, we knew. I, I'm tempted to click on the full review to see what exactly he's referring to when he's talking about that social debate. But, uh, I mean, I guess you could just – I haven't seen the show. You haven't seen the show. I'm sure the show explores all the stuff that's barely touched on here in – you know, detail. It's it, it sounds like it would be a really complex story that would develop over several episodes. And at some point in the season, you get the reveal that they're all clones. And then at, then you get the reveal. Something that, that's not all crammed into 125 or excuse me, an hour and 25 minutes. Right. It would seem to me not having seen the show, assuming that the show follows a similar plot line as this one. It would be a fool's errand to try to encapsulate everything in a 90 minute movie. Yes. Uh, I felt when it was over that it was a like a more bad version of Electra. <laughs> I don't know. The Electra had had much story to go through, though. I could oh, be. I, I didn't feel like this did either. I felt it was. Well, just... they had like a, this whole world that they create. Yeah, it... but like it doesn't matter. All they want to do is just have fucking Charlie Theron and outfits fucking flipping around. Right, but that's the bad part of it. And then I... Pete Possway looking like a dick. <laughs> Literally. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, you know, it's like they say, nobody sets out to make a bad movie, right? And I've seen uh, Karin Kusama's latest, most recent movie, uh, The Invitation, and it's really good. Mm -hmm. So She also made Girl Fight and Jennifer's Body. Those I like movies. Jennifer's Body. I haven't mm -hmm. seen Girl Fight. Uh, so, so it's not like also like, oh, well, they put somebody behind the camera that had no talent, right? Uh, and... And they had source material to go from, so it's just a matter of just a bad adaptation, you know. That I can't put my finger on what it is other than runtime because it, like I said to you, whoever the location scout on this was fucking excellent because like the big wide shots and everything look fucking awesome. Well, like the art design, I think it looks it looks great. I think everything it, it's just uh Someone pulled a rib on Frances McDormand though, getting her in that big fucking wig. <laughs> okay, except for <laughs> uh, even Pete Possewaite, I mean, you know, if it wasn't Pete Possewaite, we wouldn't be really joking about it that much. No. But because it's Pete Possewaite, then As Ray Fines. As Ray Fines, just looking all orange. Uh <laughs> yeah, it that that's funny. But Frances McDormand, I don't think anybody could make that wig work. No. It's crazy. Uh but but everything else looks. She, she's probably the only person that could come close to making it respectable. <laughs> yes. Academy Award winner was she an award winner by then? Was Fargo? Uh, what year was Fargo? Far yeah, dude, Fargo was like, like the late nineties, mid nineties. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then yeah, Academy Award winner. Uh, this movie has two Academy Award winners in it. Oh wow! Yeah, let that sink in. Yeah, Fargo was made back when William H. Macy was on the cover of Tiger Beat. He was the <laughs> teenage heartthrob. <laughs> uh, but I, so so visually, it looks great. Uh, and then, and also, it wasn't from anything I gathered. It wasn't necessarily rushed. It's just, I think it's an example of just too much ambition. It's just too ambitious because, and I mean, also them. Hey, this woman just won an Oscar. People are going to come to pay to see oh, it. We need to make it like right now with her. Uh, I mean, because 
like when I was talking about the the world building and how it creates a world, it, there's a lot of details there that you barely touch on. Like just the fact alone that they can all have this conference call in their brains where they meet with Francis McDormand, right? Yeah. It was like that's that's barely explained, and mm -hmm. it gets really confusing by the time you get to the end, and she's kind of like digging the button from behind her back. Yeah. You know why is she doing that? I, I have no Not idea. Not explained. I, I don't know, I, I, but I'm sure it makes sense. I, I wonder how much of the movie makes more sense if you've seen the show, because at least you know what they're referencing, you know? Mm -hmm. But but for most of the movie, I mean, we were not kidding in Hashtag CC. We were just trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah. It, it, who's betraying who? Why are they doing this? We literally this? had to rewind and watch the ending. Oh, yeah, because we never – it's never really made clear why she was spared, why Pete Possilwaite saved her DNA instead of deleting it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but there's, it feels like a world that is, would have been explored more thoroughly, explained better in episodes, episodically, mm -hmm. right? And then, and then there is a big game. Okay. So this, I really like that question towards the end of do we, what she wants to destroy the clone facility, even if it means destroying the cure and he's arguing against it. And she just says, this isn't life. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool, but if you could have arrived at that end game, at that big question, uh, in a more in, in a clearer way, so that I've enjoyed the movie mm -hmm. until that point, instead of me slogging through all this really weird shit until I get to something that makes sense to me, mm -hmm. uh, that would be good. But so I think that maybe when the creator Chong is talking about, uh, you know, them dumbing things down, I don't know that he's a hundred percent right. I think that actually they just. I mean, this sounds bad, but I don't think they dumped it down enough. Yeah. There's so much that we just don't understand. It's hard to connect it. I think that they really should have maybe – what they should have done maybe is just uh, uh, shrink the scope. So instead of wanting to get to this big philosophical philosophical thing about the clones and the cure and all the stuff and, oh, well, we've been keeping it alive for an hour and a half movie, it should have just been the story of Bren uh, Brenga Bre – Bregna, whatever the fuck – the fucking city and they – could, the whole movie could have been the climax where they break the wall and find life and not have to incorporate all that. You don't have to explain everything yeah, else, but yeah. you just settle into just this one plot line that doesn't need all the extra stuff. You know, just introduce us to the world of of, of Influx and mm -hmm. just how everything works before you start throwing all this other extra shit. Into and like it. we said, and then at the end you can have John Hamm come tease being the bad guy for the second movie that's never made. Oh, this is uh, – Roy, good child. <laughs> <laughs> I was just living on the other city, like right next door. I'm glad you guys I've, finally broke out. I've been knocking for years. <laughs> uh, so not even that we time this shit this way. It just kind of happens. Uh, Charlie Theron did an interview with Variety this week, uh, pumping up Atomic Blonde, which is her new one coming out. Have you seen the trailer? No. It looks cool. But basically the discussion turned to Aeon Flux. Uh, and she stated she was never completely sold on the entire concept, but thought it could be something. And she really loved uh, Kusama's movie Girl Fight, Girl Fight, excuse me. And so she threw herself into it, the belief that she was a great filmmaker. And then quote, and then we fucked it all up. I just don't think we really knew how to execute it. And it's disappointing, but it happens. I've been in the business long enough to know that you cannot get it right every time. Um, I mean, that's an understatement yeah. if you've watched the movie. And then, uh, of course, she used that to say, I might have gotten it right with Atomic Blonde. But um, I think it's funny that, that somehow Charlie Theron is kind of like, you know, becoming this uh, 
like what was uh, Angelina Jolie at some point. Where, oh, well, strong, badass character. Because, uh, you know, you had Mad Max. Or you've seen the, the trailer for Atomic Blonde. It's just her kicking ass all over. But the uh, thing is, like, with this case, though, and all those comparisons to Catwoman, this nowhere near derailed her career like it did Halle Berry with Catwoman. That is correct. But I think that that could be just a I've also heard of Halle Berry, like... I don't know shit, but I've read she's difficult to work with. Well, but also, I mean, if you look at movies that they made before they won their Oscars, I mean, maybe I just want to—I just get the feeling that Halle Berry just has a knack for not picking good projects, whereas Charlie Theron probably has usually a pretty good idea of. I'm glad you mentioned before projects because this leads its way into another round of: <laughs> Is it better than Reindeer Games? <laughs> well, now having seen it, I can tell you that it's. Oh God! Don't do it, man. It's, it's not better than. Thank Reindeer you. Games. <laughs> Reindeer Games gets another one on the scoreboard, but only because at least you don't. Ha- it's funny because Reindeer Games over-explains everything. <laughs> it does. This is the complete opposite. In Reindeer Games, you never have to turn like to your buddy and say, hey, what's going on? Yeah. Because Ben Affleck or Garrison Neeson... Unless or... it's to say, that couldn't happen. Right, but that's different. That's, you're just laughing at yeah. Reindeer Games. Whereas here, you just, you're just you puzzled. And you're trying to figure out what's, uh, what's going on. And there. they don't use the word ravine one time in this film. Well, that's that's to, to its detriment, really. <laughs> like, they, they knock down the wall and they're like, look, a ravine. <laughs> Uh, there's still the the Matrix hangover in this. There's still like the desire to do like so much high flying acrobatic shit. Yeah, that's. But she looks great doing them. I think yeah, that she. I mean, uh, like now, I said, now that we're in real talk, I don't know how I feel about the the hands instead of feet. It feels like like if you're gonna do that, I wish it'd gone crazier with that. Like at the very end, this character is shooting a machine gun, and. It's just like a normal should have, She should have been on her side with like both pairs of hands. like shooting, Exactly. You know? Why does she have two guns? It just feels like, uh, I don't know. She doesn't really get to do much. Even when she fights Charlize Theron, it's almost like she's just fighting another woman, not fighting a woman that has hands instead of feet. I don't know. Yeah, and I, I didn't do my usual gimmick of going over everything. So I went over the date, but the budget was $65 million. Didn't even make it back. It, box office was 52.3. And... It's a pretty modest budget for having an Oscar winner on board, but like I said, locations and also just all the fucking sets looked great. I thought visually that the last thing this movie had wrong with it was visuals. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy shit happening that I wish I I understood, that I wish that I was really in sync with the movie while it was happening because I'm sure that's, that that's better. And I wonder, like I said, how much does it change if you've seen the show and you really know what those pools are, like the... the, the uh, Minority the report the precogs, and and you know exactly how the little conference call works, and you know, uh, you have a better idea of what's going on at all times. Then, then you probably get to enjoy more the visuals, mm-hmm. and you get to see oh, this cartoon that looked pretty cool now looks really cool as live action because she looks amazing doing the flips and yeah. shooting and all that stuff. I was gonna say it's a shame that uh, Johnny Lee Miller, sick boy from Train Spotting, doesn't really get to do much other than just. Be there and be die. there, yeah. Be there in the background. You know that he's a real bad guy, and then he dies. Uh, but that is a weird choice, and I wonder if it comes from the from the TV show, uh, where everybody's just so 
understated and so it's almost like in the future everybody whispers mm-hmm. and that kind of gets in the way of things building up because you'll have this massive action sequence and then they're back to just speaking like this and and uh i don't know but it's not like you have a memorable villain here it excuse me uh pulled a curtis there it uh it reminded me to some extent when you say that of watchmen in that if I hadn't read Watchmen before I saw it, I would have no idea what was going on for about 50% of that movie. Nah. I mean, I can't say because I read Watchmen too, but I think Watchmen, I mean, it's a slow burn, but you kind of follow what's going on scene to scene. You may not know what you're, you, you don't know what you're building up to, but you at least know good guys, bad guys. This is what's happening. This is the goal. I didn't know what she was trying to do a, <laughs> for the first 30 minutes of the movie. I guess that's fair also because Watchmen's eight hours long and this is fucking 90 minutes. It, right. So. It, this is like if Watchmen was 90 minutes long Jesus. and they still try to cover well, all Even if it was three hours long, I remember I saw it with my dad and he was just like, I have so many questions. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's just really cramped and like I feel it's not a movie where I take away that there was any uh, selfishness or greed or bad intention in it it just didn't work i think from what i did gather the original cut was two hours and the studio wanted to cut it down which right half an hour can make a hell of a difference it can there's still a lot of exposition that needed to be done in that film yeah but or or maybe you know cut some stuff out actually and then you know we just don't have those questions you don't have to tell me they could have made a 90 minute movie with what they wanted right uh, but yeah, I really, it's a shame though, because, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. I didn't look at the filmography. I don't know, like the history of like, whatever. I know that Catwoman had happened before. I don't know who mm-hmm. directed Catwoman, but the fact that they get this shot at another Steven Spielberg, <laughs> Spielberg with a Z yeah. <laughs> senior Spielberg. Go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they uh they have this shot at having an iconic an iconic female character, a strong female role model, a badass chick on the big screen. Dude, and they- that's why all these fucking things have trepidation, like Lobo, the Max, like all those kind of niche comic characters that mm-hmm. had like prevalence in the nineties. I mean, I don't know what there is to lose. Do you remember when The Rock was going to be Lobo for the longest time? I never heard of that. I heard of The the Rock being uh, Black Adam from Shazam. And I think that might still happen, but he's also saying he's going to run for president. But um, it's a lot of those things and Watchmen. It's these things that people don't know how to tackle. And in some situations, they might not need to be. I think I I understand and appreciate the need for... uh, really strong female badass and also like just the fuck yeah factor of a female directing it as well but it just seems like some of these things can't really be translated to one movie i think i'm with you what you said this felt so much more like if this was laid out episodically i would have been able to follow it so much easier yeah i i i just think it's a shame that it just i don't know i mean i'm assuming it kind of backfired you know it's like you you put all this stuff together, and then it comes off so poorly. And then, well, you instantly point at the people behind it, right? And you're, and yeah, Charlie Saron yeah. has like all these other movies and an Oscar to back her up. But then, 
you know, I, I guess I just I think because we're talking about female filmmakers in this little arc, you know, I just feel bad for Karen Kusama because again, like I said, I've liked her other movies that I've seen, and so just for it to backfire. I kind of feel like, oh, well, the director takes a lot of the heat in that case. Always. And, and so, yeah. yeah, so that sucks. The way film's always been outlined is the director, like, and even just general population, I always think the director's the reason. And that's, as we've seen and studied in our whole thing here, <laughs> that's not always the case. And, yeah, I do feel bad for her, too, because, like, I, I hate, hate, and you know how I am about the word hate. I hate using the word visionary to describe a director, but there was a clear vision of what the movie was going to be. And that that's, I keep going back to that. Cause that's my biggest compliment of the film is the visuals, the settings, the the stages, the fucking whoever did the art direction and also the, the location scouting. And you know, the director always has a big hand in it. Hey, this is what I want right. it to look like. So there were things about it. She nailed. It's just, it's so hard to tell a convoluted story in a 90 minute movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, like I said, too ambitious. Flew too close to the sun. <laughs> I lo- I'm not laughing at you. I just love that expression. Anytime someone gets to use it. So, Aeon Flux. What have we ever settled on? We 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 don't. I don't like star ratings. You like star ratings. You do letters. I do. I, letters. Do, I do star ratings. This would be a D. Yeah, this would be like yeah a one star. Uh, to me, if I was a 13 year old that could just be happy watching Charlie's Terran jump around in a skin tight suit for 90 minutes, they'd probably get like four stars. Uh, but it's an adult that I was gonna say it's kind of like Charlie's Angels, but the first Charlie's Angels is really good. Is it? I, I can't remember. The first hey. one is the second one's dog shit, <laughs> which I, you know, me better than our faithful listeners do. My feelings on McGee. The best movie he will ever make was the first uh, Charlie's Angels movie. Uh, just wait till he comes back to the Terminator franchise. Oh, and by the way, before we get into like plugs and all this shit, Chaz, I fucking was on vacation, and then you and Julio got into about the fucking Terminator franchise. <laughs> I I got on my Twitter and I had fucking like thirty notifications <laughs> going back through it. <laughs> so we'll put this to rest right now. It goes one, two little bit of a space three massive chasm salvation and then yeah fuck it you can put genesis next to it you haven't seen genesis i watched it like drunkenly at a party you oh had. you did I didn't yeah know. oh no the party i had yeah. you were not really watching it i watched it and like chris was telling me what was going on the entire time and no no uh no okay that is that is like your opinion man but uh <laughs> but i do appreciate it because chaz was giving some credit to rise of the machines right that was his whole thing he was saying that rise of the machines is better than four and five it is it isn't you're an idiot it's just it has a good ending that's all neither of those have claire danes that's all i need oh, but you have uh mcgee in the fourth one christ and uh, plus the charismatic enigma, <laughs> Sam Worthington, and then you have fucking uh, Christian Bale doing the Batman voice. All good things. Julio's <laughs> <laughs> just looking at me like you're proving my point right yeah. now. The fifth one has Jai Courtney, whom we also learned to love. It's John McClane's son. Yeah. yeah, and then uh, Danny Targaryen from Game of Thrones, which you don't know. But then Arnold comes back in style for the fifth oh, one. Man, it's yeah. Rise of the Machines is dope. There's anyway. 
Next time we're going to see Chaz is going to be for American Hustle, right? Correct. My God. Because <laughs> he likes it, doesn't he? Yes. He oh, does. God. What a fucking mark. <laughs> uh, he and, like, I'm telling you, that recording session, I, I'm going to just grind him to the point where we're, like, in a hockey collar brawl, just, like, going at it. Because <laughs> that movie is shit. <laughs> uh the movie has one good scene, but I won't tell you about it until uh, until we record. Wait, is it the scene that I like too? I don't know. Is it Bradley Cooper? Oh no, 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 no. Okay, no, there's no. only one scene I like. Yeah, no. But just closing up on uh, Influx. Yeah, sorry, I got a uh, uh, sidebar there. One star for me, D for you. Yeah, would not recommend it. No, to anyone. No, I I could tell the story of what it was. And I'll, okay, so I'll tell you this. I am curious about the TV show. Wasn't before. And I, I don't think it's actually the movie that made me curious. It's more like just doing a little, the little bit of research that you had, plus just reading the, the reviews and all that stuff just made me curious about. That's I happened guess, with what, us a couple times. Like when we do movies that are based on something else and the movies are terrible, it makes me more interested in right, the subject. Right. I was like, what is it? Because there were a couple of quotes. I didn't read them, but they were talking about like, hey, you really should watch. Just pull out your DVD and watch the entire run of Aeon Flux. Mm-hmm. And then you, you, you'll you love the character again. or You'll love the story again. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm, I mean, I never – I think we talked about it in the previous episode. I, I was never able to get into those MTV cartoons – when I was a kid, but maybe now I'm old enough to just appreciate them, Give understand them. Yeah. So maybe we, we shall report if I ever get into it. <laughs> okay. So that was a unflux next episode, Julio. Next episode will be lost in translation. Scarlett Johansson, Bill Murray, uh, Anna Ferris making her return to the contrarians. By the way, influx, we, it's a, it's a contrarians third for yeah. Charlie Theron. Welcome to the club, babe. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Sofia Coppola uh, makes her contrarian's debut. Uh, Bill Murray, we've had him before, right? We've had him, like we invited him to the studio. <laughs> yeah. Kill us, Bill. Oh, oh, William came and hung out with <laughs> yeah. us. Uh, okay, so we'll be moving along with our female story arc. And I do recognize that there's nothing more hypocritical than two men. Uh, and for all <laughs> intents and purposes, since you are a citizen now, two white men talking about... Uh, females and feminism and all that good stuff so our goal is to have a couple of our female friends yes we do have them on the podcast along with us so fair warning if we do they're not the uber nerds like our friends that we've had on before so you know it'll be an interesting discussion they're just gonna sit in judgment as we talk and try to be funny and they're just gonna be shaking their heads yeah because you know women right (laughs) they be shopping uh no i actually look forward to uh to just bring in some uh like a female perspective. With all that said, uh, of course, as always, plugs. First and foremost, the festive years opening and closing tracks. You can find them on iTunes, Bandcamp. That album we're using, that's several years old. So just look up the festive years, music past, present, and future. Um, we are on SoundCloud, iTunes, but you guys get all that stuff in the pre recorded messages. You should uh, email us to wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. Let us know what is it like. To watch Influx if you've seen the show, assuming that you've seen the show. Uh, or what is it like to like the Influx movie if you're one of those Yes, people. if you if you're listening to this and you like that movie, I really would like you to email in because that that's a very fascinating subject. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, mini plug. Not that it needs to be plugged because it's doing great. But uh, the new Spider movie, really good. Uh, you, Alex, are not allowed to watch it until you catch up on all your uh, MCU watching. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you have to watch every single thing, but you should watch at least Captain America Civil War. Which I own on Blu-ray. What? And I've just never gotten around to watching it. What? Yeah, that's right. Since when? My dad got it for me for Christmas last year or something. God, that's like Dude, almost you know where I'm at. <laughs> I can't do them. Like, it took me, like, it took everyone I know to tell me to go see Logan. <laughs> And I did. I walked into it like chewing gum, like a sarcastic asshole. Like, oh yeah, this will be great. Balling by the end of it. <laughs> so, I think one of these days it will be. It won't be contrarian related, other than we'll mention it maybe in an episode just passing by. But uh, we'll sit down because you haven't watched Age of Ultron either, right? I did watch that. Oh, you did. That Which, was the second Avengers movie, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. it was not good. What? Fuck you. Okay, never mind. I'm canceling <laughs> this Marvel date I was planning. You didn't like it at all. Like, Quicksilver was good. Yeah, because he died. <laughs> oh, it was unexpected. Yeah. Didn't Kick-Ass play Quicksilver? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't and, like uh, the Iron Man Thor, uh, Iron Man Hulk fight? Oh, fuck off, dude. That's why I'm so sick of those movies. That just unnecessary destruction and like... Oh, my God. The entire sequence, Iron Man is trying to save people, trying to clear the buildings and like aiming the fight to where there's no no civilians. Yeah, that's fine. It's just like I'm just over that shit. <sighs> like we were saying at the beginning of this fucking podcast, the the magician thing. You play your hand <laughs> once, I'll come back. Like maybe one time. <sighs> just I just the level anyway. <laughs> the level of disappointment. The big sick. Fantastic film. I can't remember if I plugged it. When's the last time we recorded? No, it was like uh, a while ago. Okay. The Big Sick, directed by Michael Showalter. Uh, as a huge Michael Showalter fan, I can tell you that it's amazing, but still nothing in the vein of like Stella or What Hot American Summer or The State, anything like that. Uh, it's getting intensely rave reviews, and I guess Ray is getting some Oscar buzz. Ray Romano. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's good. And he, you know, you and me. That was one of our first bonding points as friends was our love of Everyone Loves Raymond. So uh, he's fantastic. And I know you, you haven't seen it yet, right? I haven't. I want to. but uh, Him yeah. and Holly Hunter are just both fucking impeccable in it. Uh, we joke about it all this time, but it is true. It takes quite a bit for me to get up and go to a movie theater anymore. That was a movie that we saw the trailer before Chuck. Uh -huh. And I was like, I'm going to go see that. So I did. And it's fucking fantastic. Next stop will be Dunkirk. And if all goes according to plan, I'll be plugging that. Yes, hopefully. Wouldn't it be horrible if you watch it and you hate it? I, I don't know if it's possible for me to hate a Nolan movie. I, I think Memento's kind of overrated. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I do. Uh, I, I like Inception a lot. And uh, Interstellar is fucking fantastic. And that was the last thing he did, right? Interstellar? Yes. Okay. And I had someone message me the other day, like, "Yeah, we're going to the Bob Bullock Museum to watch the uh, Interstellar on IMAX, or uh, excuse me, uh, Dunkirk on IMAX." I'm like, "That's it's not a real IMAX, <laughs> but it's a big screen, hey, but it's not fucking film. It's it digital. Don't be its knob. It's I, so I will be. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I told you, the embargo hasn't been lifted on re reviews yet, but everyone's applauding it, and the consensus I've read on everything is like Harry Styles from One Direction who's <laughs> in it." is surprisingly great. Oscar-worthy turn by Harry Styles. Uh, one can hope. As a, as a 1D fan, I can hope for that. 
Anyway, Julio, I've stolen a lot of time here. So, uh, what do you got for us this week? Uh, well, I told you, Spider Man. That's that's really that. Oh, that's that, it. Uh, that was seriously my plug. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, you know, I, I guess I can also plug American Gods, which I mean, it just it finished its run, uh, first season. Uh, it was only eight episodes. Finished a couple of weeks ago, I think. Uh, but I went to see Neil Gaiman last week. Oh, you were at that? Uh huh. It was a lot of fun, and I was. I don't know why, because I should have known better. But in my head, I was like, I need to watch all of American Gods before I go to Neil Gaiman in case somebody like asks him a question where the answer ends up spoiling something about the story. <laughs> so, so I powered through all eight episodes, which are great. And uh, and then of course, you know, he barely talked about. Uh, yeah. American Gods. He just said, "Oh, I liked it. It's a it's a really good beginning, you know." Because by now, halfway through the season, they just completely step away from the novel that he wrote, and yeah. they just start doing their own thing, and that's great. It's it's really good. But yeah, uh, I would say the way I watch this, uh, I have Amazon Prime, so I just added stars to Amazon Prime, which was like eight dollars, I think, and uh, and then you just stream it. I just put it on my Xbox. Uh, Worth watching. Only eight episodes. They're hour-long episodes, Alex, so they don't quite match your rules. <laughs> the maddest criteria. Yeah, but uh, anybody that likes Neil Gaiman, especially if you've read the novel and you like it, it's it's a blast. Yeah, uh, we've kicked off our female path here, and um, not in the best of ways, but I think we're definitely going to redeem that. I'm really excited about some of these movies we have coming up. I'm really excited to revisit Lost in Translation. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it. Always a good time to watch Big as well. Anything else before we exit this week? I think that's it. I think we've we've gone on. Uh, we've set this off to a good start. We have. I wish I had like a, an Aeon Flux quote to set us out, but I really I don't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, keep off the grass. It, yeah, or, or what is it that uh, uh, Pete Puzzlewaite, as Ray Fine says to her before? Uh, Be safe. You're needed. <laughs> yes. We all know explanation why. Uh, and yeah, we did our best in an hour to try to explain the plot of this movie, but it, it's something that requires more time. Uh, but more time will be had in future episodes. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Fessor of 1999.